tonight and uh, what great worship and uh, an honor to be back here this evening. Thank you for coming to Revival. I know that on a Tuesday night you could be doing anything and how many of you know sometimes anything means no thing? You could be doing nothing but you chose to come to church and I'm very thankful for that and uh, what a great crowd, good full house tonight. And uh, I appreciate that. Wonderful service, wonderful singing. Aren't you just thankful that God's given us a place like this in days like these? And I praise the Lord for it. What a wonderful service tonight. Get your Bible, if you will, and let's go to the book of Luke. And I want you to find Luke chapter 19. I'll ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read a couple of verses beginning in verse number 37. Verse number 37 of Luke chapter 19. How many of you got some help last night? Luke 19 verse 37. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. I like this, with a loud voice. It was not an inward, quiet, reverent voice. It was a loud voice in which they praised the Lord. It's all right to praise God real loud. They praised Him with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, we should have known this was going to happen. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, <laughs> rebuke thy disciples. Uh, they said, uh, aren't you going to say something? Are you going to let that slide? They're so undignified. They're so irreverent. Aren't you going to deal with them? Well, you better be careful about getting him stirred up to deal with somebody. Because <laughs> he might. But it might not be who you think it's going to be. And they, said, they said, you need to deal with them. And Jesus said, oh, I'm about to deal with somebody. And while you're close, I'll just make it you. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace. Now this is an interesting analogy. The stones would immediately cry out. Father, help us tonight. I love you, Lord. Lord, what's in my heart is bigger than my ability to say it. And God, what you have put in my spirit, it exceeds my ability to express it. But Lord, I, I fall humbly in your hand tonight. And I lean heavily on your shoulders. And I ask you to speak through me. And God, while you're speaking through me, would you speak to me? I need this message as much as anybody in this room, if not more. And so God preached to me. I thank you for what you do. Thank you for this wonderful crowd. Thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for this faithful pastor. Now God help us tonight. 
In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Jesus is asked to rebuke the volume of their worship. He is asked to deal with the extravagant display of their praise. And may I say to you tonight that anytime God is really getting glory, it is going to bother someone who is not involved in the glory giving process. Jesus says to them, if all of these loud, disruptive, unorthodox people did not praise me, then he says in a very strange analogy, the rocks or the stones would cry out and they would praise me. Now, to me, it is interesting that of all of the substances and all of the creatures and of all of the things that are on God's earth, that He would choose a rock to demonstrate His ability to get praise for Himself. Why would God say a stone? And how in the world could God get worship out of a rock? If He had said the birds, I could understand that. For they sang. If He had said the trees, I could even see that. For they can blow and move in the wind and the breeze. But He chose, Brother Robbie, He chose the most inanimate object on the planet. That which does not move unless it is moved. That which is hard by its definition. And he says something that could not move itself. And something that is as hard as imaginable, I could get praise from the stones. Now, somebody help me right here. He is God and he can get praise ever how he wants to get praise. I may have told you that some years ago I was preaching out in Washington State and I do preach around the country a little bit. I like to stay in Georgia, but I don't have enough friends in Georgia to just preach in Georgia. And I I have to go around the country. And any time I get past Alabama, I feel like that ought to require a passport. Can I get a witness? And, And an interpreter, you know. But I was in Washington State, little logging community out in the middle of nowhere. And the little building was literally the size of this center section, just these chairs. They had tall windows that went from the ceiling to the floor, beautiful old country church. And they would lay them out and they leaned outward from the top and chains caught them. And it was cool and that's how they ventilated that building. Well, those folks, they were in the deal with them Jesus crowd. They was not in the disruptive crowd. They was in the deal with them crowd. I'm talking about dead as a wedge. You understand? I was preaching up a storm and I was having myself a time and I, I, I forgot where I was and I forgot who I was with and I just hollered out, somebody ought to give him glory. And it was silent. And my hand to heaven, 
In the yard next to us, there was an old billy goat tied up eating grass. And when I said somebody ought to give him glory, the Baptist did not grunt. But the goat said, That's a true story. I said, I'll take it. Amen. What they didn't know is I'd been preaching to goats all my ministry. I mean, I'm I'm used to preaching to goats. (laughs) And God can get praise from a Baptist. He can get praise from a stone. He can even use a goat if he has to. But he is able to get glory for himself. When I think about the analogy of the stone or the rock, the most obvious characteristic of a rock is that it is hard. It is hard. The question that I want to ask you tonight that will explain to us how God could get glory from it is how does a rock become that way? I was interested in the formation of rocks and I hope I don't lose you tonight. We're going to do just a little bit of study, but I think it'll take us somewhere good. As I began to study how rocks were formed, I found that there are three types of rocks. There are igneous rocks, there are sedimentary rocks, and there are metamorphic rocks. I studied this and I've got a friend that is big in the rock quarry business and I studied it as best I could and I shared it with him and he said I was right and that made me feel better. (laughs) All three of the major types of rocks are created through different means. And every avenue that creates these rocks, it is a different process, but it leads to one result. The rock is hardened. Igneous rocks are created by cooled magma. They are made from extreme heat. Sedimentary rocks are created when pieces of other rocks are subjected to the elements over a long period of time and sedimentary rocks are created from the weather. The third type of rock, the metamorphic rock, it is created from amounts of high pressure. So rocks are made through three processes. They are hardened by heat. They are hardened by weather. And they are hardened by pressure. But there is one common denominator between all three processes. It does not happen instantly. It happens over time. Now I want to move from science class to church. And I want to say that the formation of those rocks is often represented in the hardening of our own hearts. One of the greatest struggles that you will have as a child of God is that on your journey and in your walk with God, you will battle the struggle of a hard heart. We will experience some fiery trials in our walk with God. That's what Simon Peter said. 
He said, if you're saved, you will experience some fiery trials. There will be some heat applied to your life. There will be some times where the flames are so close and the heat is so hot that you cannot escape the hardening process. Is there anybody in the house of God tonight that could say, Preacher, I have been through some fiery trials. And I have felt the flames so close that I felt like they would burn me. I have been through the furnace of life. I I have felt it cranked up seven times hotter than normal. And I've been through those fiery furnaces. I dare say tonight that there's children, and I say children, young kids, who know about some fiery furnaces. I think sometimes we discredit the emotions and the experiences of our children and they may feel things in a way that you and I do not in a way greater than we could experience it. You would be amazed what eight, nine, ten-year-old children in this very church have endured in their short life. And by 11 and 12, they already have a heart that is hardened by the fiery trials of life. Somebody said, preacher, she walked out and the flames got hotter. I had a job that I thought I would hold on to until I retired and that was my plan. But I got undermined and they cut me and now I'm starting over again and I feel the heat of that trial. Maybe it's heartbreak. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was financial ruin. Maybe it was self-destruction. But you've been through the fire. And on the other side, I would like to say that the fire always melts us. But I need some honest folk to help me up in here tonight. Sometimes we don't get softer in the fire. We get harder. Rocks are formed through heat. The Bible speaks to us about the second process. And that is that storms will come into our life. We said that rocks are created by heat. And sedimentary rocks are created by weather. It is the constant effect of the storm that over time creates the hardness of the sedimentary rock. How many of you would say, Preacher, I am saved. I am going to heaven. I love Jesus and I want to serve Him. But I'll be honest, my Christian life has been one storm after the other. And I preached to you last night out of my heart and I feel like I was obedient to the Holy Ghost of God. And I told you last night, don't ever say it can't ever get any worse because there's always a step down from where you are. And I won't whine or cry on your shoulder, but I have walked through one 
fiery trial and one storm after the other even today I'm dealing with difficulty right now when I walked in those doors that I'll have to deal with when this service is over and it's nothing scandalous it's nothing on my part it's just the storms of life but I want you to hear me storms are coming the rain's going to fall the wind is going to blow you will go through storms you'll go through storms and storms when they come over and over and over they have a way of creating hardness in our heart the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew upon that house In Mark 4 and in Luke chapter 8, the disciples who were serving Christ in every imaginable way, the Bible says that they were come down and there came down a storm of wind on the lake and they were filled with water. I want you to hear me and I'd appreciate an amen if you know this is right. Just because you go through a storm does not mean that you're not right with God. I'm going to say that again. Just because you're in a storm, that is not an indication that you're not right with God. You can go through storms as a Jonah who's running from God and just as easily you can go through storms as an Apostle Paul who is in pursuit of worldwide evangelism. We ought to slow right down and be real careful about being weathermen in everybody else's life. Don't worry about why they're going through their storm. Just pray for them. Don't nothing make me sicker than hear somebody climb up on their high horse and look over at somebody's storm and give their meteorological... I don't even know if that's how you say it, but y'all know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Analysis of their situation. Be careful. Be careful. You may be pointing at who you think's a Jonah, and it may be an Apostle Paul. Because storms come to the boats of those that are serving Him and to the boats of those that are running from Him. How about we just pay attention to our own little boat? That all right? How about we just worry where we stand with God? Storms will come. And storms have a way of creating hardness and creating rock. When I think about the storms of life, I, I think that they differ from the fiery trials because the heat of that fiery trial, that heat typically does not burn long and it burns up what is there. But the worst part about a storm is when it just won't stop. Amen. <laughs> when the rain just won't quit falling. When the lightning just won't stop flashing. When the thunder refuses to be quiet and the wind just keeps on blowing, the worst part about the storm is they often last for a long, long time. I love to hunt and I love to fish and I love the outdoors. And I want to promise you there's nothing that will put you in your place like a storm when you have no shelter. 
to be exposed, to be open, to have no covering, to have no protection, for the storm to rage and you have no ability to escape it. And I would go out on a limb and say that there's possibly those here tonight that have been in a storm and you thought it would be over by now. You thought that January would change it. You thought that warmer weather would turn it around. You thought tax season would dry it up. But it seems like the storm is raging and raging and raging. And I've come to warn you, be careful. Prolonged storms create rock hard hearts. There's a third way of which rocks are created. And that is through pressure. Somebody help me right here. Pressure is a part of life. It's just so. Pressure is a part of life. So much so that Paul himself experienced it. And we touched on this last night. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul said, We are pressed out of measure. Pressed to the point that it's unbearable. Pressed to the point that I cannot explain it. Pressed to the point that it is crushing and breaking and melting me. And pressure is felt when we are continually squeezed by the cares of life. The contin- Listen to me carefully. The continual pressures of life will harden your heart. And it happens in such a slow pace that we often don't realize we have a hard heart until it's past the point that we, that we, not he, that we can do anything about it. There's a little path behind my house that goes down to my barn. And uh, I have walked it for 14 years, probably several times a day when I'm home. And that path, though it is dirt, it is as hard as concrete. When the rain falls, it soaks in the grass, it washes through the loose dirt. But when it hits that path, it rolls off to the side. It doesn't even get muddy because it has been packed down and hardened through pressure. Not through a steamroller, not through a machine that packed it down, but through simple steps repeated over and over. And there are some of you in this room tonight that you have not gone through great difficulty. You have not experienced tragedy. You have not been out on the edge of life and wondered if you were going to make it. But the grind has hardened you. Just doing what you do has hardened you. Singing in the choir every Sunday has hardened you. Sitting under preaching every Sunday and Wednesday has hardened you. And the better the worship is, the harder your heart becomes the more fiery the preaching is the harder your heart becomes you get so used to it that the repetition and that pressure creates within us a hard heart have you ever taken inventory of yourself and noticed 
that the songs that used to make you weep, they don't stir you anymore. Some of you used to come here and Brother Robbie could say, we're glad you're here tonight. Why? Glory, hallelujah. And now he'll preach his tonsils to the back door, study hour after hour, and can't get a grunt out of you because your heart has slowly been hardened through the pressures of life. People stand before you with their troubles. And broken, hurting people pass you every day. There was a time you'd stop and pray for them in the gas station. But now you look right through them if you don't just look over them. And the pressures of life harden our hearts. I'm going to be very honest with you tonight. Maybe too honest. But I'm going to be very honest with you tonight. The greatest struggle that I have spiritually is struggling with a hard heart. I didn't get no amens and I wasn't looking for none. The greatest personal struggle of my walk with God is the struggle of a hard heart. I've been in the same pulpit 21 years. I have seen people come and that church loved them back to health. That church loved them back to life. That church put food on their table. Pray their children into the family of God. I have watched God do a work in lives for 21 years. And then they leave because the music was too loud. And the first three or four years, you cry and you stay up all night and you get sick and you call them and you beg them. But somewhere around year seven or eight, the hardness of the heart becomes an issue. I've drove people to rehab time and time and time again. The same ones. (laughs) To watch God do a work in their life only to watch them trample underfoot the place that God used to get them to where they are. And I battle a hard heart tonight. I do. You pray for me. When you pray for me, you pray for that. I battle a hard heart to study and pray and seek God. And with tears and a broken heart and a word straight from heaven, and Baptist yawn and look at the clock and wonder when we're going to lunch. And that'll give you a hard heart. And I, I struggle with a hard heart. But while you're sitting there looking at me, I dare say tonight that the greatest struggle of your life in your walk with God is to maintain a tender heart and a soft and supple spirit in the hand of God. You know how I know it's not just my problem, but it's yours too? Because it has been the problem of God's people all throughout time. Ezekiel had a message for God's people. And Ezekiel said, do you know what's wrong with God's people? 
They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have a bar on every corner. They didn't have worldliness in the church. Ezekiel said, your problem is you have a stony heart and God wants to replace your stony heart. Jesus himself looked upon the religious Jews and Jesus said to them, I see the hardness of your hearts. The disciples themselves had just watched Jesus feed the 5,000. I'm talking about he had what they had watched him break bread that would not quit breaking. They had watched him break fish that would not quit filleting. And uh, we may need a grocery store like that for long. Somebody help. They watched him do the impossible. And in the same chapter, the Bible says that they were doubting for the hardness of their hearts. They watched a miracle in one verse. And they were hard-hearted before the chapter could even end. Let's just stop and let's all get on the same page. And how many of you will be honest enough to say, Preacher, I too find myself at times struggling with a hard heart. (laughs) Well, I have good news. And the good news is that God can get praise out of a rock. I believe I'll say it one more time. God can get praise out of a rock. And if He can get praise out of a rock, I think He can get it out of us. You see, in nature, there are two ways in which rocks are broken. In nature, without the hand of man, there are two ways in which rocks are broken. The first way is through water. And the second way is through power. Rocks are broken, hallelujah, by the continual application of water. When water meets stone, I'm about to have spell and y'all don't even know why. When water meets stone, in the test of time, water always wins. The continual application of water. The continual application of water will always overcome the hardness of the stone. That's why the rocks in the creek are so smooth. That's why the rocks are often broken. That's why the crevices often run deep. That's why the chasms often plummet from top to bottom because a little drop got in and then another drop got in and then it froze and it expanded. Then some more got in and it froze and it expanded. 
or maybe it just kept on dripping and dripping and dripping until it finally broke the rock in two. I'm here to tell you, water overcomes stone. Now I'm going to tell you why that makes me so happy. Because the Bible tells us that water is a picture of the Word of God. He said, ye are clean by the washing of the water of the Word. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? It's through the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the answer for our hard heart is to get under the flow of the Bible and let the Word of God soften our heart. I'm going to say something tonight, and I'm trying to help you, and I hope you see it as such. But if your walk with God revolves around your prayer life, you don't have much of a walk with God. If your walk with God revolves around your church attendance, you don't really have much of a walk with God. You may have a real good social life, but your church attendance is not the hub of your walk with God. If your praise is the centerpiece of your Christianity, then you don't have much Christianity. Because I don't even know what to pray unless I've had my nose in this book. I don't know what they're talking about at church unless I've had this word going down in my heart. And I don't even know what to praise him for if I'm not buried in the Bible. But you show me a child of God who keeps a steady flow of Scripture and they'll have a prayer life that's hooked up to heaven. They'll love the church and they'll worship not over temporary things but over eternal things. Water breaks rocks. And the Word of God will penetrate our heart. Somebody said, Preacher, I would read it, but I don't understand it. Let me do you a favor right here. Uh, Don't worry about all the parts you don't understand. You just work on them parts that you do understand. The Bible is the supernatural Word of God. I believe this is the inerrant, inspired, perfect, preserved Word of God. This is not what's left of it. This is not the best we've got. This isn't what we have to make do with. I believe this is God's mind, what He wanted us to know on paper, and He put it in our hand, and I don't have to understand it for it to change me. I just got to put my face in it, put my heart in it, and live it and read it and walk it, and let the Word of God soften my heart. The second way rocks are broken in nature is not only through water, but through power. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. You know, behind the church where I pastor, there's a large outcropping of rocks, about 12 acres. And it runs, the same vein runs all the way to Stone Mountain, Georgia. There's about five rock quarries right there around our church in that same vein of rock. And and if I was to take you to that rock, uh, we would be trespassing, but we've been over there looking for turkeys before, say amen. amen. If I was to take you there, that rock is so uneven. 
and it's covered in pock marks and it's covered in dips and it's covered in loose rock on top of that big solid rock. And I was asking a young man that about that one day who was, that was his field of study at a major university. This is what he said to me. He said, you know what those low, he said, you know what those low places are? Do you know why that rock is broken? You know what that loose rock is? He said, those are places where lightning has contacted that rock. Where power from heaven. Y'all want to have church just a minute? Where power from above has made contact with that rock. And that which was unmovable and that which was hard and that which was impenetrable through power, it is broken. And I want to tell you, there's no sinner so hard that the power of God cannot soften them. There's no backslidden child of God so hard that the power of God cannot break in and you're not too far gone and you've not gotten too hard and you're not with Without hope. The power of God and the Word of God can penetrate the hardest heart. <laughs> Several years ago, I had a young man in my church. He was about 13 years old, I guess, 12 or 13. And he had gotten saved. He was coming with some friends. And he'd gotten saved. And God was really doing something in his life. And he had a burden for his dad. His dad was a combat veteran many times over. Had served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Was with the 3rd Ranger Battalion, a decorated soldier, a hero. Who had done many amazing things and had seen many horrific things. This young man was praying for his daddy to get what he got. And I was going to be baptizing that young man on a Sunday morning. And he talked his dad into coming to church with him on that Sunday. He came in after the singing had started. He rode in on his, on his Harley. And it was a, a chopper, just, a, just really, uh, you know, just stripped down. A bobber, really. He came in. You could see by the look on his face that it was the last place he wanted to be. You could see the hardness of his heart on the expression of his face. He came in and he sat on this side about four or five rows back. His son was on the front row. We was going to baptize after the preaching. I got to preaching that morning. And... While I was preaching, you felt this, and some of you men of God have felt this. There's a difference in a dead crowd, and there's a difference when someone is resisting the Holy Ghost of God. Brother, there was a tightness came in that room, and you could feel the spiritual battle taking place. And while I was preaching, that young man's daddy stood up, cussed out loud. I don't mean, I'm talking about rough, vulgar language, cussed out loud at me and cussed God. And out the back door he went. Hit the door so hard, just everybody jumped. His little old son sitting on the front row, so embarrassed, so broken. He thought this was the day that 
maybe dad would get what he had. And there he is, cussing the preacher and cussing God and making a scene. Baptized that little boy. And about a week later, I was sitting in my living room in the middle of the afternoon. And I heard something outside. I live on, it's a two-lane road, but it's, it's a highway. It's what they say it is, but it's just a two-lane road. And I was sitting in my living room and I heard the awfulest sound outside. I jumped up off the couch. I, I stepped out the front door. And Brother Robbie, when I looked across the road, I could see a, a chopper, a custom motorcycle just standing up in the yard across the road. Had a big custom headlight, one of those long teardrop looking headlights. And I'll never forget that, that headlight was shoved down in the ground. That bike was standing straight up. And about a hundred feet or more behind the bike from where the bike had come was a man laying in that yard, motionless, his body twisted. He had some friends that was riding with him, but as that kind of friend often does, they left. And they left him there before the cops could get there. He was laying in that yard and I thought, this, this, this man's dead. I rushed over to him. Some other people had stopped. And when they, I didn't touch him, but when they rolled him over, it was that same man that had cussed me and cussed God and stormed out of that church. Motionless, seeming to be lifeless. You tell me the coincidence of him running off that road across the street from the preacher's house. Boy, I prayed for him. The ambulance came and got him and hauled him off. And I thought, he'll never live. He'll never live. Time went on and I hadn't forgot about it, but I just never thought about it. About a year ago, I was in Lowe's. I was in the light bulb aisle. And I was picking out some lights for the church and for the house. And I heard a man off to my left talking about Jesus. And witnessing. And, and, and I looked and I, and I knew that I, I knew him from somewhere, but I didn't know where I knew him from. I looked and I trying to mind my own business, and then he looked at me and he said, You don't know who I am, do you? I said, Oh, I, I know I know you from somewhere, but I don't I can't place you. He began to weep. He said, The last time you saw me. He said, I'd stormed out of your church and cussed you and cussed God. And he said, I laid in the yard across the road from your house. And he said, I should have been dead. He said, but God was not giving up. Brother Robbie, he's weeping. He's weeping in lows. And he said, I was so mad at you. He said, because everything you were saying was where I was living. And he said, I did not want to admit it. And he said, the more you said it, the more it rang true and the matter I got. He said, you don't know the nights that I've laid in my bed and heard that message over and over. He said, you don't know the times I tried to drink that sermon out of my brain. But it just kept on preaching. And he said about a year ago, he said, I couldn't take it no more. 
And he said, I got saved. <laughs> and I was looking at light bulbs, but he was the brightest thing on the aisle. <laughs> and there we were, weeping and rejoicing in Lowe's. Over a heart that seems so hard. But the Word of God and the power of God can penetrate even the hardest heart. <laughs> I got to say one more thing and I'll hush. Did you know when Jesus died on Calvary? The Bible says in Matthew, I think it's chapter 27, that the rocks rent. The word rent means that they were cracked. They were broken. And when the Bible says rocks, it does not mean just the rocks around the cross. It is my belief. You can ask a geologist this and you can examine every rock you find from now to the time you see me next. They tell me that every rock on planet earth has a fault line. Every rock has a cracked place in it. And it is my belief that when Jesus cried out and gave up the ghost and the rocks rent, it is my belief that the power of God and the voice of Christ broke literally not just the rocks around the cross, but I believe every rock on planet earth was penetrated by the power of His voice. You know why I believe He did that? To show us that there's no rock so hard. No rock so hard that His voice and His power and His word cannot break it. Let me ask you a question. I'm done. Come to the music, if you will. How many of, and I'm going to raise my hand. I ain't trying to be super spiritual. I ain't trying to make you feel sorry for me. I ain't doing it. I'm being honest. I wish I, I wish I, I, this did not apply, but it does. How many of you will? Identify with me and say, Preacher, I need you to pray for me because I love the Lord. And I want to serve and I want to do what's right. But I do find myself struggling at times with a hard heart. I do. I don't, I don't want, I hope one day that's not true. For now it is. How many of you are praying for someone <laughs> that seems beyond hope? They seem beyond the point of breaking. But you're praying for them tonight that God would penetrate their hard heart and bring praise out of them. How many, they may be lost or they may be saved. You can be hard-hearted saved. You can be hard-hearted lost. How many are you praying for somebody like that tonight? He's able. He's able. He's able. Somebody prayed for you. And other people said, it's never going to happen. But it did. <laughs> but Robbie, one of the saddest things is to think about somebody that nobody's praying for. Somebody that everybody has given up on. Boy, don't you give up on them tonight. You come, you call their name. He can get praise from a rock. He can get shouting from a stone. He can get worship out of that spirit 
that seems so dense and unmovable. Let's get our own hearts softened. And let's pray for somebody else tonight. These are coming. You stand, and when you stand, just keep moving. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Stand all over the building. Come on, stand. Bless His name. Preacher Joy. Bow your heads where you're at. If you're thinking about coming, then you need to come. It's easy to get caught up in a service like this and start telling God, I'd come if you do this or I'll come if you do that. God's giving you a word tonight. The preacher's giving you a challenge tonight. And if you prayed before the service and asked God to speak to you, now now it's time for you to do something with what you heard. There's hard hearts all over this building. Preacher says he battled with it. I battle with it. Not naive enough to believe that you don't. The question is, are you just going to walk out the same way you walked in? Choosing to stay hard. Right now, it might just be you hard heart towards somebody. Right now, this might be a hard heart towards a situation. But left unchecked, left unattended to, for long it'll be a hard heart against God. I wonder tonight, while people are still around the altar praying, you still have your eyes closed tonight. I wonder if there's anybody in the building to be honest with me. Say, preacher, I've, I've been around church so long. Preacher, I can quote Bible. Preacher, I could, I could preach your sermon. The truth is, preacher, there's never been a time in my life where I've gotten saved. I've gotten so used to sitting in church that it doesn't bother me anymore. I look back on my life and I say, it ain't changed. Maybe you'd say, preacher, pray for me. Pray for me, preacher, that I'll get saved. Is there anybody in this building? Just lift your hand up to God where I can see it. Say, preacher, pray for me. 
and I'll get saved before it's too late. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I love you. I thank you that you have brought us the message tonight. I'm thankful for your messenger tonight. But Lord, I, I've dealt with a hard heart. There's things even now that, Lord, I've allowed my heart to be hardened towards. So, Lord, as we, Lord, close out a service, I confess, Lord, of a hard heart. God, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to cleanse me from it. Life comes at us quick, comes at us hard, and oftentimes, Lord, we don't make the right choices on how to deal with it. Where we failed you, where I failed you, God, I, I seek forgiveness. I confess I was wrong. Lord, as we end the prayer tonight, Lord, maybe there's some in here that's still harboring a hard heart. God, I pray tonight that, Lord, this message would just keep digging and digging. Lord, I pray for them tonight. I pray that hard heart will once again be made pliable. Lord, I pray the Word of God penetrate it break it for your honor and glory not to hurt them but for your honor and glory to help them Lord we love you tonight and I thank you for a wonderful church service I pray we each one take this home apply it to our lives and live by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.